0: Good evening, good afternoon, uh, good morning from wherever uh, or whatever part of the world you've joined for this Thinker's Dialogue. We have a very, very special person uh, today with us, uh, and his name is uh, Professor Anil Gupta. Uh, In fact, his introduction can be read. Uh, In fact, I can spend the next one hour just talking about him and his work, but I think we have to take the opportunity of talking to him. But I must say a few things about him. Uh, I got to know Professor Gupta about seven or eight years back. And I think for me, he became a friend, philosopher, guide, and a guru in many, many ways. In fact, my whole journey on the idea of innovation was something which was inspired by him. I was looking at ideas of competitiveness. But the first time when I met him and he was talking about innovation and he said grassroots innovation, I said, wow, like there is something that we have to really understand and look at. And that is how I started dabbling into understanding this area. But without any further thing, in fact, if you really uh, uh, look at his profile, he he has been a professor at IIM Ahmedabad. Uh, he recently retired after about 36 or 37 years of uh, service with IIM Ahmedabad. Uh, and then, of course, he started something very, very interesting at IIM Ahmedabad. I've, I've always wanted to go for that program with him, what he would always call a shodhyatra uh, so which he continue, he did for 20 or 30 years. I think it's been I think since 1998, he started the program. Uh, So he still continues. And I think that is one of the biggest learning experiences, I can say, for people across uh, the community. If you are able to go to the villages, if you are able to walk through, that is when you really understand as to how the world functions. And that is what he does. So at some point in time in my life, I think I would like to spend days with Professor Gupta to really understand what it is. But for his work that he has done over the years, uh, he was uh, presented uh, with the uh, padam Uh and uh, i think uh, in 2004 2004 uh, but i think that is an accolade which which the country gave but i think he's much worthy of many many more things so accolades don't really uh, tell what this person is and what he is uh, and it's been an honor to know professor gupta uh, in many ways. In fact, uh, uh, I was invited by him to talk in his class as well, which was an amazing experience. And that also instilled the spirit for me or within me to teach outside. So I started teaching a course at Stanford on rebalancing economic systems. So I do not know if Professor Gupta will realize, uh, but it was his ideas, uh, which I still talk about uh, in some of my sessions. So that is where uh, it is. Professor Gupta, it is, it's an honor to have you with us today. Thanks a lot for joining us
1: Thank you, thank you, Amit. This is a, a great evening for me, really because I have seen you uh, ranking different states, different uh, sectors, different regions, and uh, the kind of uh, indices that you have developed to measure the of innovation. But as you know, neither WIPO nor uh, WTO or any other organization has come to terms with measuring creativity at grassroots. So none of the innovation index today, whether by Inseed, whether by Cornell, whether by any other institution of the world, they believe that people in the rural areas are sink of sermons, sink of aid, sink of assistance. They are vessels in which you pour ideas. They are not source of ideas. They are not source of innovation. So from sink to source. This was the transformation that we brought up in our work over the last 33 years, 35 years. And uh, the demonstration that poor people are poor in wealth, but they're not poor in mind. They're not poor in ethics. They are not poor in general, in values, in love for nature. That is why I don't like the term BOP, which many times you use, because the bottom of The poor people are at the bottom of economic pyramid, please mind it, B-O-E-P, because they are not at the bottom of ethical pyramid. They are not at the bottom of innovation pyramid. You see, they are not at the bottom of circular economy pyramid. They they could try to use everything for their purpose or something. So, in fact, the biggest circular economy champion is a grassroots innovator, because he always uses second-hand parts in whatever they fabricate. So if there is one champion of circular economy, much before the term circular economy was invented, is the grassroots innovator. So with such a uh, wealth of richness, we still refer or focus on parameters in which they are weak. And you know what the implication of, you know, there's a very interesting Danish linguist who once said, language shapes the habit of thought. The moment you say BOP, you're referring to a resource in which people are poor. People are poor. So your patronizing instinct will, by definition, manifest. How can I help? Isn't it? That's a thought which will come to your mind. The moment you say, no, 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 they're at the top of the innovation pyramid. The moment you say, can I learn something from that? Can I learn it from my company? Can I learn it from my organization? Can I learn it from my government, my ministry? That thought will only come when you see that they know something that we don't. To get more out of less for as many people as possible and sometimes for as long as possible is what these people know very well, as my friend Dr. Musharraf often says. So I would say that uh, the very concept of notion of of innovation uh, from grassroots must be distinguished from for grassroots. So let's say Amit feels strongly about something in the rural area, then you develop an innovation, let's say solar tractor, for example, which also grassroots inverters have developed, uh, that's a good solution and people would like to use it. And nothing wrong with that. But that is the time kind of challenge that Amit faces in the marketplace or in the institutions that society has is very different from when some mechanic in the village develops the same thing. The kind of challenges that he or she faces are very different. So innovation from the grassroots faces face very different challenge, institutional, political, economic, social, cultural, than innovation for us within the same realm. So that's very important to understand. And I would say that uh, we have been blessed, we have been blessed, there has not been a single shodhiatka or learning walk, then we have not found people who surprised us and surprised by their generosity. Surprised us by their creativity. Surprised us by their concern for nature, for birds, for squirrels, for ants. So the wholesome life, I'm not saying all grassroots innovations are green. No, there are some which are which can damage environment as well. Because there are all kinds of people everywhere. But most are.
0: So, Professor Gupta, this is very interesting and fascinating. But I have to... You you made a very important uh, point that we should not really look at uh, BOP uh, or bottom of the pyramid. They, they are probably at the bottom of the economic pyramid, but not in terms of thought. And you make a very important point on the cover of your book. And I think that's that's a startling statement. And that is what we need to understand. Minds on the margin are not marginal minds. I think that that's the ethos that you have been really talking about. Could you just tell more about... So there is a boy... There's a boy,
1: Adarsh, in Katihar, in Bihar. He asked a question. Little boy in a small town. What if there was a fourth traffic light? Now, most people will dismiss this question. The whole world is running its traffic with three traffic lights. Red, orange, and green. Why do you need fourth? and i have asked this question in my class uh, yesterday i asked this question in my class and it took a while before students said sir there is a possibility that the fourth light that's a blue light will indicate that there's a traffic jam ahead and you know in, when you go from Delhi to Burgao, there's a traffic jam and you can spend an hour there so it will tell you that there's a traffic jam you turn left you turn right or you turn back but don't go ahead now imagine this is implemented. The whole world will change the way traffic is managed with an idea from a small town of a boy from a lower middle class family. And I can give you thousands other examples of this kind, tens of thousands where the people who we consider as living on the margin have come out with profound ideas. the ideas that can change the world in many ways and uh, for example, from a coconut tree, some leaves fall, and they dry up everywhere. Nobody thought that these leaves could be used for making straws instead of plastic straws. sadi sadi Bangalore did it. Act. Now, it was an innovation for grassroots, but by engaging people from grassroots and finding from them what can we do with these leaves, so the ideas that we get from grassroots, by definition, because they are. Materially constrained are very frugal. But the problem is that much of the literature on frugal innovation, much meaning 99%, does one fundamental mistake. They confuse that frugality is only for the consumer. No, frugality for consumer, frugality for manufacturer, and frugality for the Nature. If it is not frugal for nature, then it is could be, for example, a sachet of, uh, let's say, mouth freshener or a coconut oil, one rupee sachet is very frugal, very cost, very affordable. Even poor people can buy it. But calculate the cost of collecting that piece of plastic from six hundred fifty thousand villages of this country. You know now how costly this innovation is. Because we externalize the cost of collecting waste plastic from the villages, therefore, it is frugal. So we should not use this term as loosely as I have seen people using it in the east and the west. We should avoid that. We should also look at frugal for nature, another aspect of frugality. Most inclusive innovations may be frugal, but not all frugal innovations are inclusive. So Chandrayan and Mangalayan were very frugal missions. In $79 million, we could do what other countries did in billion dollars. Very frugal. Were they inclusive? No, there was nothing in that time. I mean, it was a scientific expedition. Done very well. So we must be careful that when we use terms, we use them properly and learn right lessons. So when we said mind on the margin or not marginal mind in my book on grassroots innovation in 2016, it was a very firm belief that if you want to learn about circular economy, if you want to learn about nature, let me give you an example. So there was a, my colleague Chetan was uh, doing a study of bird feeding platforms. You know, people throw grains at a platform in a village so that bird will come and feed it, pigeon, parrot, and all of that. So in one such platform, he saw that it was paved with clay and powder you ask the question, it's a concrete platform, why would you put a layer of clay on it? Sir, when birds feed, pick up the grain, their beak might get worn out by striking against the concrete base, you put a clay layer so that the beak does not get damaged. A society which thinks about the beak of the bird, how can you call that a poor society? It's a society which is very rich in its way of dealing with the problem, dealing with the life. Uh, there is a famous uh, root bridge in, in Negala, for example. You must have heard about living root bridge. It takes about 50 years to make. Lasts for about 250, 300 years, 400 years. Has almost zero entropy because nothing goes waste out of it. There are stones, there are creepers, The roots of uh, a rubber tree growing on both sides of the river pulled together. Marvel. Why would they do that? So I asked them a question, why did you do that? We wanted to do something which is different. We wanted to do something which is durable. We want to do something which doesn't produce waste. All right, so culture creates curiosity about questions of this kind. Then we saw the roots hanging from the tree. They looked like us, like rope. We could pull them firmly. That was technology. And then they said, you know what? We can't do it alone. We need group action. That is institution. So technology is like word, I often say. Institutions are like grammar, and culture is like phrases. Where variety on the same thing, and this is the heart <coughs> of grassroots innovation. Very seldom will two people solve the problem same day. So the diversity of solutions that you find is enormous, and one can learn so much. One can learn about new ways of solving problem. One can learn new concepts. Have you ever heard about slow irrigation? Nobody would have heard it. You ask an irrigation engineer, you ask an agriculture scientist, what is slow irrigation? They say, what do you mean by slow irrigation? When you release the water in the field, it it distributes in the entire field. No. When you grow a chili crop or other crop which have very shallow roots, and if the water moves fast, they can be uprooted. So you make smaller beds. Water will move slowly. Water will move uh, fast, and when you make bigger beds, water will move slowly because it has to move but longer distance, it will lose momentum. So when it is slower, it would not damage the roots of such plant, which are very like a very shallow root. Who taught this? Wala, a village, a laborer at a farm in Gujarat taught us this concept of slow irrigation. I had never read it. There's no book on irrigation which tells me about slow and fast irrigation. You have heard about slow food. But then we heard about slow irrigation. It's a new concept. Then we came across one two brothers in Assam, Mehta and Mashta And they had made a, windmill, a bamboo windmill. And this windmill will run a hand pump. And hand pump will irrigate a paddy field. Now, that was amazing. So we said, that is crazy. You could use a pump set. It could fill the field in one hour. Sir, when you give fast irrigation, and quickly, more leaching takes place. When you give water, which will fill not in four hours, but 40 hours, leaching will be much less. Nutrients will remain in the top side. That's where the roots of the crop take their nutrients from. What a what a philosophy. What an idea. So there are a large number of examples from agriculture, non-agriculture, non-farm, uh, education, technology, culture, institutions. All kinds of solutions which enrich our repertoire and also increase our confidence that if only we had empowered these people to solve their problems, probably, as Gandhi said, the decentralized, diversified solutions have enriched our repertoire much more than what they have done.
0: So, uh, Professor Gupta, th- this is fascinating in terms of like we we have to learn from what's really happening at the grassroots. But you 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 make a very important. Uh, statement Uh, and that is that people are uh, what you call people are not really getting appreciated for what they're actually doing Uh, they are effectively getting sidelined or uh, the statement that you actually uh, make is that uh, there is that whole intellectual bias against them so how do we really do away with that intellectual bias that creeps into our mind to really take this forward because what you're saying is we are shortchanging knowledge creators and providers uh, and the, to change this is not going to be easy.
1: There, there are two levels at which I answer. First, I will answer that a lot of people who went to the field, to the villages, to document the knowledge of the tribal, knowledge of the healers, knowledge knowledge of the bone setter, knowledge of the livestock people, knowledge of the uh, innovators, mechanical mechanical innovators, knowledge of the energy solvers, innovators. Most of the time they went there, documented it, they became the author of those papers. People got no credit people became anonymous when we started honeybee network uh, if you can see this logo uh, the logo says a nameless faceless person comes in contact with the network gets an identity and this identity is what we're talking about that they they matter that they have a voice so what we say that honeybee network tries to give them voice visibility and velocity Voice visibility and velocity so how do we do that so first question is we said no whenever you document the knowledge of people you will not make them anonymous they could be co-author of the publication that you bring out so many scientists i'm very proud to say accepted this point and they have co-authored publications with the, the provider of herbal healing solutions and whatever second we said whatever you do must share with them in their language it could be in Malay, it could be in Phasa in Indonesia, it could be Chinese, it could be Tamil, it could be Telugu, it could be different like this. Third, that you must cross-pollinate ideas of one region to another. We connect world globally. I'm talking to you, through you. I see here elenita uh, uh, who I met in Malaysia, who is now in Denmark and attending this talk. We are connected globally. But do we connect people? from one part to the another, no, they remain fragmented. So we must make it possible for them to be connected to each other around the world, across the world. And fourth is that if we generate any benefit, the share must go back to them. These were the four principles with which we started And I must say a bright spot in what I have said, and I would bemoan otherwise, but I would like to mention that I worked with four presidents of our country. Dr. Apidoglu Kalam, I taught a course with him. Mr. Prathwa Patil, uh, Shri and currently i work worked for one year with him, not more, Shri Ramanath Kovinji. Three of them took the movement very far ahead. For example, uh, Dr. Kalam introduced the concept of presidential award. So President of India recognizes the grass field. That has never happened in any way, any country in the world. He, in fact, invited innovators when he was president to his Rashtrapati Bhavan. And I remember a case when there was an old gentleman, old innovator, and there was no concept of any chair for the guest. They were supposed to stand and take the tea and coffee. He got a chair brought. And then he put the snacks in a plate. And he said uh, in Tamil to him that, please sit down. And then he offered the snacks to that innovator. A president of this country, billion people country, offers the snacks to a grassroots innovator after making him sit. Because he was told, then Mrs. Party she brought the concept of bringing exhibition to the Rashtrapati Bhavan, and Sri Mukherjee started Festival of Innovation. And Festival of Innovation implied also Innovation Scholars, where ten innovators, children, students, farmers stayed as the guest of President at President House for two, two weeks to three weeks. No country can claim that innovators will be the guest of present house. I have never stayed at present house, but they did. And of course, Ramnath Kovinji made it into a f- festival of innovation and entrepreneurship, but then it was stopped at Rashtrapati Bhavan, which I feel could have been continued because there's a great grandeur. The present house has is a testimony of the head of the state in that sense. So therefore it has a very different grandeur. It has a very different appeal to the common people of our country. And uh, so therefore we had a phase in our, Recent history, when this country recognized, respected, and rewarded innovators in a very glorious manner. But if you look at the total budget of our country, and particularly of science and technology, and the budget which is allocated to the grassroots innovators, negligible, negligible, completely negligible. I mean, you can forget about it. It's not even worth talking about. So, from that point of view, I would say that yes, we have not done even. we have not done much justice to the cause of grassroots innovators. But one thing to the credit of the scientists of this country, we had MOU when I was in NIF, uh, National Innovation Foundation. Uh, you know, I, I should mention that first, Sasti was set up in 93, then Gyan, grassroots innovation augmentation in 97, which was the first incubator. And then NIF was the scaled up burden of Gyan in 2000. So we had MOU with the Indian Council of Agricultural Research, with Council of Scientific Industrial Research, CSIR, and Indian Council of Medical Research. And almost all the scientists never charged for their time. So I must give credit to the scientists of this country that they did not charge for their time when they were validating the knowledge of class. Some of them did not charge at all, even for consumables. Second contributor, which is very important, is IPR attorney. No patent attorney. Charged a penny for their time. Can you believe it? Our average cost of filing patent was about 15,000 rupees, including the fees paid to the patent office. Nobody will file you for less than 2 lakhs, 3 lakhs rupees. And we file in the US. And the famous form, THT, that later on KLNG, Tom Turano, my dear friend, who was a partner in that form, filed patents for us in the US. We could prove that the grassroots innovators of this country can transcend the prior art of USA and achieve intellectual property protection in the Makkah of innovation. We could prove that several, not one. So in terms of making a case for their knowledge excellence, what better could be the tool? I mean, this IPR is a market instrument, and if you have a, if your innovation cannot be anticipated by a person well-versed in the art. he will be granted a patent, otherwise not. So we proved in that sense, uh, licensing was done to some extent, eight to nine percent, but to small entrepreneurs. No big company really joined hands. with this. That is true. That's a pity. Uh, but I must say that there is a huge potential for uh, these innovations to change our lifestyle, to make us more green, and also to become part of our curriculum, You know, I don't know what is the fear that education ministry has. Maybe they're worried that if they taught innovations to the children, children will become more creative and ask start asking questions. They're worried, they're afraid. Our education ministry must be afraid of innovators. Otherwise, there's no reason why they will hesitate in putting this content in this school book, textbooks. Rarely would you find a book where there's a one or two lessons. There are thousands of such innovations for all the states of the country, from Andaman to Shri, to Jammu Kashmir, from Gorej Valley to uh, Arku Valley, but for some reason there's a hesitation. So there's one reason where I feel we could have done much better than what we have done. But still, India has done much more than other countries. I must say that India has included the grassroots innovation in the science and technology innovation policy. India has the only India is the only country where grassroots innovations are part of the national innovation system. India is the only country where uh, public funds are given to create private rights. So we file patents for the innovators in their name using public funds. That could happen only in India. You know. So therefore, there are many things that we have done which are unprecedented in the history of innovation anywhere in the world. Nobody will pay public money and provide private grants, private rights to the innovators. We have done it. We are continuing to do it. More than 1,200 patents have been filed by NIIT and garner interesting. so surely there is a case that we have made but i must say a lot remains to be done
0: absolutely and but just going further on this uh, you you make a very important point Rhi, that uh, language shapes thoughts and when you talk about language shaping thoughts there has been a very interesting word that came up in the uh, what i call world of innovation uh, from my po- pertin- my personal point of view i somehow don't like the word It is called the Jugard innovation. Uh, But don't you think it does disservice to the very idea that you're really talking about? Because when you're talking about Jugard, it suddenly means shortcuts and people stop appreciating exactly as to what you're really talking
1: about. You are absolutely right. That's a great damage that some lazy intellectual did who had no ability to conceptualize and no ability to abstract the complexity of the grassroots innovation movement and chose a nomenclature which was very unfortunate. I've written about it, but I have never called any classic innovation jagard. but Jagad is a temporary solution. It's a makeshift solution. Any society which takes pride in jagar can never aspire to become a developed economy. Never. Jagar is a mindset even in the bureaucracy can be very societal, you know. I'll give you an example, and my friends who are looking at this program and if they are from the policy system should forgive me for saying this. In the summer school on inclusive innovation, one of the students we had and with this group, wanted to improve the COVID app. COVID app is for fixing time for vaccination. Uh, Why am I talking about it? I'm talking about it because when you book a railway ticket, India is the one which handles the largest number of railway tickets from anywhere to anywhere. You can book them sitting at your home, right? ICTRC and so on. So in that, what happens when you book a ticket? And somebody cancels, your turn goes up. In COVID, it doesn't go up. So if you have booked a vaccination slot and you did not go, the vaccine goes waste. If there are not other people waiting there. Now they are modified by saying that you don't have to pre-registration; you can go on the spot and get it. But imagine a damage was done when you did not create the same flexibility that exists in the railway reservation system, and you could inform. The next people in the line, 10, 12, 50 people below the, below the person who has been slotted today, inform them as soon as the, uh, there is a delay, please inform them, rush, because your turn has come now. We are willing to vaccinate you. So then people will be obviously very happy that they are being invited to vaccinate, and we want all of them to get vaccinated as early as possible. What I'm trying to say is these are solutions where we don't learn from what we have done before. Jagad is... A temporary solution is a makeshift solution. It's a solution that may not last long. And that creates a mindset. You just solve the problem now and we'll see later. That later never comes. So one good example is you must have put your charger or phone in a socket. Does it fit every time? Does it fit everywhere? No. Why? Not at all this country of 1 billion and 130 billion 1. 1.3 billion people cannot design a socket for the plug are you saying country which can send 100 satellites in one launch and put them in different orbits cannot design a socket because of jugad mindset <laughs> This mindset is very, very suicidal, damaging. And I pray that other countries who are trying to uh, lap up this term should not follow in Indian footsteps so far as the not developing systematic solutions. They will suffer our fate. And I don't want them to. I don't want India to suffer. And I don't want any other country to suffer. So this is a very open lesson to everybody. Jugaad is not the way Indian grassroots innovators solve problems. Some of them do, I agree. I'm not denying that at all. But then our intention, our effort should be to blend them with modern science and technology and other institutional resources to develop them into a durable, systematic solution, sustainable solution. So I agree with you completely that Jugaad is a very misnomer. It, uh, is a, it doesn't do justice to the uh, to the society. And uh, even in social innovation, for that matter, you know, uh, when we try to solve problems, there was a, you know, that 50% people in this country don't have smartphones. So what happened to online education for children of these people? Are you saying that the Secretary of Education and Minister of Education does not know this? Today's economic times has the news that 70% people in Maharashtra 70% Children from the, 70% of children from Malashtra did not have access to online education and many other states for that matter. Average is about 50%, 52%. What did Bala Jadav, whom we gave HBN Korea Award? Jan has instituted, Honeybee Network has instituted uh, Global Innovation Awards called HBN Korea, Honeybee Network Creativity and Inclusive Innovation Award. First time we gave this award, uh, 2,500 entries from 87 countries. And one of the winners at this time was Bala Jada, assistant teacher from Rashad. What did he do? He said, All right, you don't have a smartphone, but you have a feature phone. Yes. Future phone has a function called as conference call. I can put 10 children in one conference call. I have 40 children to teach. I'll make four calls, and 40 children will be in my class. How empathetic. India cannot learn from this. Why is it not learning? What is the logic of not letting half or some in some places two-thirds children of this country being out of school for one and a half years? And no worry. And nobody losing sleep, and there's no debate. And it doesn't matter which party you belong to, because there are different governments and different states. So you cannot make it a political issue. Every government is equally to be blamed for not. Using radio for not use. Radio is the most democratic means of education. Mm-hmm. Give access to all radio station. hand over to teachers. Teach the children. Everything else can wait. Children must get education. If With teachers, they have difficulty in learning money. Many children in our country, without teachers, how will they learn? For one and a half year, two years, they have not gone to school. What I'm saying is that there are innovations emerging even in handling such complex problems. Another teacher did something very interesting. He said, well, I have to make four calls. Why don't I do one thing? I give Bluetooth speaker to the kids in different villages where there are about five, seven, ten students. I'll make a conference call, but now they will put it on the Bluetooth speaker. So kids, while maintaining distance, will learn together. So now in one call, he can get 40 children in four places, ten children each. Simple solution. If you listen to the grassroots, you will find that there is a strong empathy, samvedna Volta usko, and desire to transcend problems and find solutions. We don't hear. These are not, mind you, these are not Jugat solutions. These are just, they have and they have identified very interesting feature of existing mechanism and leveraged it to reach the unreached. Or as Gandhiji said, they are the last person in the line." They are reaching the last child in the line. So, yes,
0: this thought must be. Sure. And Professor Gupta, you, you said something very important that somehow we are very scared as society may be. Uh, I don't think you can just say that it's the government which is scared of creating uh, or what, teaching creativity uh, to students. Is it a societal reflection or is it something else? Or is, is it just political? Because it just can't be political. There, there's something cultural, societal to this as well.
1: You know what, when children ask questions and you don't know the answer, what do you do? Oh, when you grow up, you will learn it. You don't admit before the children that you don't know the answer and that you will find out from your friends or your seniors and come back to him tomorrow or the after. How many times do our parents admit their ignorance before the children? So you are right. There's a cultural problem. And this cultural problem gives a notion to the children that Admitting your ignorance is not a great thing. Try to fool around. Try to bypass the question. Try to find a way out of it. Try to just you know, defer it. Or sometimes you scold the children. Don't ask too many questions. Focus on what you're doing. Do whatever you've been told. And they stop asking questions. You go to the class and you find the same 5, seven, ten students asking questions. Isn't it? Why is it happening? Right up to the institute level, I'm saying, up post gadget level. Because we are, we are lazy. We don't want to do hard work. We don't want to admit that we don't know the answer. And we don't want to find out the answer from there, from the people, from the sources which are well uh, equipped to answer. That is a lot of work. Bringing up children is a lot of work. It's not easy. It requires hard work. Then those children will ask fundamental questions. And that's what will make the society go forward. They're not willing to do hard work. So you're right, there is a cultural duty. But then why do we make policies? We make policies to bring about behavioral change through various incentives, through uh, positive and negative incentives, through coercion. Why do you charge 1,000 rupees to a person who's not wearing masks? Gujarat collected 273 crores rupees in mask fines. 273 crore rupees, yesterday's news, through fines on people who are not wearing masks. Yes. Why? Because mask is necessary today. Minimum. Even I'm vaccinated, both vaccines, but still I must, when I go out, I must wear masks. So the question now is that you need negative incentives, you need positive incentives to bring about behavioral change to say that it is a cultural issue and if people don't wear, it, it's all right, then our role is minimized. You know, Then what do we do as a public policy maker? So I'm not going to keep the education ministry out of the loop. I will hold them responsible because I have marked Mr. Nishank in my tweet several times telling him that, look, there are children in this country who do not have smartphones. Think about them. There is not a single consultation we have had in the government or niti Iopas matter. And Nithya, the vice chair, is my dear friend. And I'm going to meet him in a few days' time. And I will tell him again. The Gaji, please do something about it. How can we sit quietly? When there are so many children out of school. And these children forever will keep this lag in their career. They will always be behind. The sustainable development goals say no leaving no one behind. And we are systematically leaving 50% of the children of this country behind. Forever. They can't learn at the pace at which average children learn. Now they have to learn. The lag of two years. The child who will come in third class would not have learned first, would not have learned second. How will he learn third class content immediately? They will lag behind forever now. So there will be two classes of citizens in this country one to serve and one to rule. Is that the word we want? I don't want that kind of word. And I'm quite confident that if we give challenge to the teachers of this country, they are very capable of finding solutions. We have to empower them, we have to listen to them.
0: We have to trust them. So, Professor Gupta, you're you're, you're making a very important point, though it is not part of the topic, but I still would want to ask that question. That we have to enable the teachers, but I think there is somewhere that there is too much control on the teaching fraternity from a bureaucratic process point of view as well. Don't you think that uh, that is also stalling a lot of things? Of course, it is. Uh, But too much control also uh, creates a lot of issues.
1: You see, uh, control in any system, why do innovations emerge? Innovations emerge because I have freedom to try something for which I don't have any better alternative, correct? So I try to overcome the inertia by taking initiative out of my own dissatisfaction or by cajoling somebody or by my friend pushes me into hard or my neighbors push me hard or my community or I find a challenge in it. For various reasons, I get provoked to try something. And this provocation sometimes comes from within, sometimes from outside. So there are intrinsic motivations, there are extrinsic motivations. Control-based systems are believing that it is, I tell you and you do it, a kind of framework that system perform well. There is no theory. I mean, all the, word, the research studies, all the empirical work has shown that when you give autonomy, when you give freedom, you know, there are very, very interesting concepts here. There are two things that we all have to deal with. One is autonomy. Second is agency. Autonomy is freedom to make decision. Agency is willingness and capability to use that freedom. All of us have a lot of autonomy. What we lack is agency. And that is the agency which makes a grassroots innovator different. That innovator uses this freedom to take decision for a larger public and social good. So if you allow teachers to experiment, and my colleague, Dr. Vijay Sharichan, at IMA, has developed a website called inshod.org, where he has a large number of innovations by government school teachers. I know so many teachers who have done wonderful innovations uh, uh, in different subjects. And if there are so many innovations by teachers, then why is it that we are not giving them more responsibility and more freedom? So control is opposite of trust. When you don't trust, if you don't trust that people can solve problems, you will not develop policies which support grassroots innovation. But if you trust, so you will say, okay, in Panchayat, 20% funds can be used for local innovations to solve local problems. You can have solutions from your own village, you can borrow solutions from another village, you can borrow solutions from another country, we don't care. You are free to choose your solutions. That will unleash enormous. I once said that on 15th August, we should honor the people from our community, our village, our town. 26 January, honor the people from other towns, other villages, other communities. Create a culture in this country. So I say here, once we honor people who have solved problems creatively within the community, larger community, and once when you have learned from others, you learn to honor innovations from outside because no one community or innovative set community can solve all problems ingeniously. We need to learn from others. That's why cross-pollination in Honeybee Network is so vital, so fundamental. So I would say that control is the antithesis of it. If we at all we have to control, we have to control our own mind, not the bureaucracy, not the not the freedom of others. We should control ourselves in and restrain ourselves from taking away
0: the freedom of others. That's a Gupta. You make a very important point in terms of that we should celebrate people at the villages, uh, village level. We should uh, look at the, what are the innovations happening. I think if you're able to imbibe this, <coughs> it also has in store for us uh, that, that we are able to solve a lot of our economic challenges as well. Uh, because that that could be the right way of really looking at economic development in the country itself. Because you, you can create very localized systems to really move things forward. And that that, that could just be a very... Gandhian way of looking at things as well. Twenty-fourth July nineteen twenty-nine.
1: Twenty-fourth July nineteen twenty-nine, Mahatma Gandhi gave a design challenge. He announced an award of seven thousand seven hundred pounds to anyone who will design a spinning wheel which will have eighteen to twenty-two count which will not make women tired, which will be not having more than ten percent cost for maintenance, which will not cost more than uh, x amount, which will not be, which will last at least for twenty-five years, etc., etc. Beautiful conditions, which are they are all given at gyati.techpedia.in uh, slash Nineteen twenty-nine. 7,700 pounds, which means one lakh rupees of that Today it will be about 10 crore. Is there a single challenge award of 10, 000, 10 crore or 5 crore, even 1 crore today? What prevents us from doing that? This country has lacks money? It doesn't lack money. Fortunately, private sector lacks money? No. Neither private sector, nor public sector, nor state has announced Challenge Awards of that order for solving chronic problem for our country. You know, 250 million people of this household use a stove, chula, for cooking food where, which was invented 10,000 years ago. Are, the ancestors used three stones, put a fire, and cooked food on that. That is the exact form of chula, a stove, firewood stove that we are 250 million people are using today. Hardly 14% in the combustion efficiency. We couldn't design a good multi-fuel stove for these people. We could design param a supercomputer actually. So we cannot claim that we are not capable. I have a great faith in the scientific and technological capability party. I'm a great admirer of that. We could develop vaccines so quickly. We could develop diagnostic tools. You know, on in February 2020, we didn't have any diagnostic tool in this country. We have now more than two dozen indigenous, some which work at room room temperature, some with saliva, don't even require RT-PCR. There's so many microfluidic choices have been given. So this country is very capable, given the challenge, the rise to the occasion. Why are we not issuing challenge that? So I would say that there are many things that we can do to bring out the best for economic development and uh, you know there's so much of pp which is going waste is there a challenge is there a challenge for is there a challenge for using these pp wasted PPE kits for making tiles bricks or some other uh, devices
0: you're on mute sir you suddenly went on mute
1: yeah so why didn't we show a challenge of that kind that what is happening to covid waste can we not repurpose it recycle it there's an innovator she tried in Kerala to make uh, pillows and you know cushions after sterilizing them. Very good effort. I admire that. But there are some individuals who have tried to do that. But institutionally, as a society, it didn't occur to us that so much waste is being produced every day in every hospital. I mean economic development how will we develop economically if we don't use waste most productively? A good economy, uh, 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 you know, in industrial symbiosis, industrial ecology—we call a waste as a resource for which use has not yet been found. There's no waste, zero waste economy. First step in economic development is zero waste economy. So much of energy goes waste. So I would say that if we could throw challenges, many innovators, many students, many uh, individuals around the country will come up to the our expectation and bring solutions. Glassdoor Innovation Movement is a matter of trust, is a matter of faith, is a matter of uh, putting uh, resources in the hands of those who are very frugal in their consumption patterns and in their expansion patterns, and then giving them support wherever necessary because their tools sometimes are very old. So how do we we create uh, a mindset which will be Built upon creating uh, durable solutions and not makeshift solutions that will take us some distance, but then we will come back to our old habit and our efficiency, overall economic efficiency, and social efficiency will not go up. That is the problem with Jagad. You know, it's solves the problem. You can get over the problem, but then after some time, old habits come back and you start behaving the same way. So it doesn't change your mindset. In fact, it creates a Jagad mindset. Mm-hmm. That's the reason. So, I would say that uh, this is not a good mindset. We should all work together to change this mindset. And it is possible to change the mindset. Uh, in summer school on inclusive innovation and energy network, what we do, we ask students to take a hammer and when they were physical school, hey, take a hammer and break the first prototype. Literally, break it, smoother into pieces. Because people often get in love with the first solution they try. And that prevents you to from exploring other choices. And we want to break this habit. It becomes very painful. You have assembled something with a lot of effort, day and night work, and then the professor says, you know, take a hammer and break it into pieces. Yes, because you should, as a habit, not get in love with the first solution that comes to your mind. So there is there's a way in which we can create alternative mindset.
0: That's what I'm trying to say. It's possible. And we can democratize and, this. Absolutely. And I, I will take a couple of questions from the audience. So there is a very interesting question from Kushman Singh Rathore. From time yeah. to time in history, ignorance and awareness, consciousness and society coexisted. Rational thought process is difficult to deliver on practical ways to entire mass. It is always a personal choice. We can convince people to do something. But how do we ensure we can deliver best of our message to everyone? Is it even possible?
1: So I was teaching a course at IIT Bombay. With along with my friend uh, Chakku Rasta Chaku Chattavati, in the uh, industrial design sector. They were about 200 and odd students, 250 students. I asked them a question. I said, Who takes the cold food at home? The answer Who eats the cold food at home? So after some hesitation, children said, Mother. I said, mother must have done a great kind because she gave birth to you and she loves you so much that she gives you hot food and you are so callous and indifferent and disrespectful that you don't even have the courage to ask her, Amma, now you sit and I will cook food for you. So I gave them an assignment. For one week, you will all cook hot food for your mother and upload the photographs of the first bread that you cook and the last bread on the weekend, and we invited Sanjeev Kapoor to a session when they all presented their ideas. Master Chef, my dear friend. Now, look at this. Children did it, and we allowed mothers to join the class of Sanjeev because, of course, they've all heard her, heard him, so they wanted to attend it, personal class. And then, when they did this, they realized that the chakla on which the plate on which you roll the bread height is very low. So mother has to bend to roll it. When she bends, she has a pain here. Mother got used to this pain. But these kids who were making bread for the first time discovered this flaw in the design of chakrah, the height of chakrah, and so many other problems. My answer to that, our friend, is, yes, we can change it. By creating new experiential processes, by which we do the role reversal, we remove the gender bias, we make our kids, our young people realize that uh, we don't have to live with inertia indefinitely, that we should not take things for granted, that there's a scope of improving everything that we work on, and it will not happen if people, in particular women, adapt and adjust. We are making virtue of their vice. They adapt. And just because we did not give them tools, you know, in this country, women were not allowed to become carpenter and blacksmith. Culturally, historically, for 2000 years. You will not find, except in Lombardo community, the nomadic, semi-nomadic community, you will not find a woman carpenter and a woman blacksmith. So they could not redesign their tools. They had to work with the tools that they were given by the men. But things which were in their control, they brought about marvelous changes. So, for instance, when you have a pain in the infant's stomach, mother will rub the nutmeg on a stone with a little water and put it there in the navel. Show me one medicine, Amit, in the medicine in the chemist shop, which is applied on navel. Navel is a wonderful drug delivery route developed by the grassroots women of this country. Not a single research paper on using navel as a route for delivery of drugs, modern drugs. Why? It's so effective. You put little asphotidia in. Mix water on the navel, immediately relaxes and release your gas, right? Why didn't we pay attention to that? So it is not that women don't have creativity, they have tremendous creativity. I'm only saying the answer is that when you develop habit of living with inefficiency or, in, or inadequacy for that matter, and you sometime out of your generosity and out of your kindness, Don't burden the rest of the society by those questions which bother you. And you internalize that pain. Women in our families bear a lot of pain, actually. And we take them for granted. And we don't redesign the things. So one kid had a very interesting solution. You have a fridge at home. So when you take things out, things which are lying in the backside, you should remove all the things in the front, isn't it? You can't remove them otherwise. He said, why can't you make a circular fridge? You rotate the tray and the things which are lying in the back will come in the front. Our kids are very creative. Our women are very creative. Our workers are very creative. Our mechanics are very creative. But we have a habit of living with inefficient solutions indefinitely. That is the habit. That habit has to change. And I would appeal to all the friends who are online today that it is possible. We can do it. It is just requires little nudging, asking ourselves a question. that is there something that I'm tolerating too much and that can go through some change and make it become better? And that's it.
0: Mm-hmm. Sir, one of the biggest challenges like for, say, grassroots innovations is scale-up. Yes, because there are such such great solutions that do come up. Uh, mm-hmm. And how do we really scale it up? Because that's we need very to quickly really get there.
1: I agree with you. That's a very good question and very valid question. But the scale should not become any of sustainability. So, first answer is if you go to a garden and there is only one kind of flower there, will you stay there for long? But that's a scale up. I've scaled one kind of flower in the entire garden. What's the problem with that? You ask for it. I'm giving you that garden. Why don't you stay there? Get the point? Yes. So we should be very careful in using analogies or metaphors. Scale is important. But scale can be enemy of sustainability. Sustainability requires diversity. So when you look at the long tail of innovation, some innovation will diffuse in a few niches. Bigger, 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 some will diffuse very widely. And we need all of them. We need innovations which will diffuse widely, but we also need innovations which will diffuse locally or regionally. And we should respect this diversity. Without diversity, there is no sustainability. Let me give an example. We were having a Shodhiya friend, Dimaji, where Ulfa was born in Assam. And the water there has very high iron content. So, people have made a water filter there where they put two canisters, put some sand, pebble, and all that. Water which comes out is clean. But after some time, when you take the water in a bottle and walk for another 50 yards, it becomes brown, which means there's a dissolved iron which doesn't get removed. Now, if you design a filter for that water, maybe 20,000, 50,000 pieces will sell because this is a localized problem. No company will make it. No company will design a water filter for only 50,000 customers. So what happens now? We need to do R&D, we need to do innovations. we need to improve the local solutions. And there we need a blending. And that solution will not diffuse because the problem is local. So you say, no, sir, we would like to wait till the iron, rich water becomes a problem of 5 million people. Then my solution will go to 5 million. Yeah, you want the problem to be scaled up. So now the pandemic has scaled up the virus problem. Develop solutions. You want to scale up solution from the pandemic has done it. Is that the right way to look at the problem? So I would say niche-based solutions are as legitimate as scaled-up solution. And remember, scale-up of hiding varieties was very necessary at one time, has done great damage to our pile nutrients, our water table. Punjab is a problem, there is a rotation problem. beet rice rotation has taken away the entire fertility of that region, right? It's scaled up. Green revolution scaled up. Why are we complaining now? There is no agrobiodiversity. All the varieties are lost. So please understand that we must develop a framework where consumers will demand diversified products and services, where institutions will provide supply chains which will will supply those products where the demand is, and where incentives will be provided to have solutions summed, which will work at different scales. Some will work at global scale, some will work at regional scale, some will work at district scale, some will work at a local scale. And all of them will be legitimate. And we need to create a
0: system of that kind. Sure. So so what you're really saying is that we need to have an ecosystem which works works very well. And we appreciate as to what are the challenges. And alluding to one of your previous points, uh, and that was about the corporations. How do we really involve the corporations to really be part of this movement. Like there are very far and few in between uh, who are really doing some uh, bits of work here. Because predominantly quite a lot of it, if at all, is driven through governmental funding. In fact, when you were talking about R D investments, 60 to 70 percent of R and D investments in India are made by the government uh, money or the but the private sector is not really doing any investments there. So how do we really involve those I mean, I'm going this is
1: something because you are my friend I can tell you this, this to you. You are heading the Institute of Competitiveness. We should change the name of the institute. It should be a Institute of Competitiveness and Collaboration, because I tell you what, during the during the Industrial Revolution, 18th century, there is a city called Leon uh, in France, and it was famous for silk loom. So what happened was that the the silk loom owners, when they will uh, put their children as apprentices. They will not put them apprentice with themselves. They will put it apprentice with another people. Another in many places, there's the custom, you know, that you don't want to train your child yourself. So in market space, they were competing. In knowledge space, they were collaborating. Now you go to Karalwag, and there's a line of women-dress shops. The wife goes to the shop and says, this is very good kurta, but I wish the collar was like that or sleeve was like that. He goes to a neighboring shop, And gets a good Is that what you're looking for? Hi, it's quite quite close to what I'm looking for. Take it, madam. He pulled the inventory of all the computing shops right in front of you. Till the customer was outside, they were competing. Once the customer is inside the shop, he's not a customer of that shop, he's a customer of that market. So the cooperation that is evident in everyday life, we are not bringing in our classrooms, we are not bringing in our policies, we are not bringing in our institutions. Cooperation is taking place. We are surviving because of cooperation, my dear. And this is evident. I have known for last few days, last few weeks, I've been focusing on network model of entrepreneurship, where I want to tell people that, look, if you can't cooperate, at least make a common catalog, become each other's franchisee, promote each other's product, So customer finds that, well, he comes to you for buying your device or your innovation and you offer some solution. He says, nah, but I want, what else do you have? And he says, my friend has this, my friend has that. Okay, I would like to buy that. You didn't lose anything. He didn't buy your product, but he bought something that you also showed him because you had a catalog or you were a franchisee of that product. This kind of cooperation we need very badly today. And pandemic has taught us that alone we can't survive. People with huge monies, huge wealth, couldn't do anything, and they were begging for oxygen, they were begging for different things. Right? Mm -hmm. Now is the time to learn that the cooperation, both at institutional level, social level, country level, is the fundamental value that will bring us together, not just among ourselves, but also with nature. So cooperation is so fundamental to survival and sustainability, and grassroots innovators, I must tell you one thing, they are very trusting people. I mean, when we go on show the art there's no guarantee that we'll go again to that place. Hmm? Why do they share so much knowledge with us? Why do they cooperate? Somewhere? Why are they so generous? Because they have trust that these people have come. In summer, we go to hot places. Winter, we go to cold places. They have a trust. If in 48 degree, 49 degree in Baripali, in Berga district of Urissa, they're coming, walking, they're going walk are are Why are they walking in the winter? So, what I'm trying to say is that voluntary suffering is at the root of Samvedana. Samvedana means some means equal, Vedana means pain. When you internalize somebody else's pain as your own, it does not remain anybody else's pain. When you try to innovate, now you are innovating for your pain. For my own happiness, I'm doing innovation. I'm not doing a favor to anybody. From empathy to innovation through one's own inner happiness. And that is the heart of the matter in grassroots innovation. So cooperation is embedded between the customer or a client and the creator, in this case, an innovator, mechanic, farmer, whosoever. And this process needs to scale up. If you ask me what they should be scaled up, the philosophy underlying the generation That should be scaled up. We should learn to cooperate. We should learn to uh, solve problems and create knowledge public goods. Last point I would mention is, I don't know how much time you have, but you know this download to upload ratio. Many young people are there on this call and I want to appeal to all of them. They should all ask themselves, how much did they upload last week? How much did they download last week? If this country has ever to become a knowledge society, ever, the ratio will have to change, isn't it, Amit? Absolutely. You can't be the world's largest consumer of content and not producer of content. share, You know, I'm expanding the concept of cooperation now. Globally, I'm saying cooperate with the world at large. Share with them your ideas. They will follow your ideas. You will automatically become leader here. Leadership is not given. Leadership is extracted by your conduct. When you share openly, then people follow you. Share, blog, write, put in open source. Our industries don't do that. Our institutions don't do that. MIT has put entire courseware online. The courseware. have courses outlined. I would like to do course class. do you so I think this this notion that uh, we can create collaboration, we can create cooperation, and this cooperation can become a very important driver for our uh, efficiency, and not just the competitiveness that brings the efficiency, but also collaboration, because we learn from each other. We truly believe in open innovation, which is reciprocal and respectful, and not just uh, contrived where you try to. Uh, Take something, but not share, and so on. so It's possible. That's Grassroot innovation effort. teaches many lessons. So let me close by saying last point I would like to make is that grassroots innovation movement is not just about innovations and not just about solutions. It's also about the philosophy of sharing those solutions. Uh, majority of the people solve their problems, sh- share their solutions in open. They don't mind if other people copy. Right to life takes precedence of to right to property. And therefore, while we have filed patents for people, hardly 1,200 out of 300,000 ideas, large number of innovations are in our workshops. And you are welcome to join us as a volunteer of Unity Network. And I will be very happy if any one of you wishes to explore this subject further. Amit, thank you very much for having me with you today evening. I hope you will bring some new new volunteers and new friends for us. Thank you so much.
0: I'm sure this has been such an insightful interaction. And I think there are two very big uh, takeaways, uh, which is the uh, essence of what we're really talking about. Like one is that we have to really talk about from empathy to innovation to about our inner happiness. The second thing is that we have to move from internet of things to internet of thoughts. And that is what you actually say in your presentation as well, and very powerfully said. So it is about sowing the seeds of samvedna to trigger sprouts of Srijan Shilta, as you say, uh, Professor Gupta, that is the essence, and that is what we should really all think about imbibing in our thinking and moving forward. Professor Gupta, it has been such an honor to have you with us today. Thank it was so such much. a great Thank learning you so much Thank you Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you.
1: Bye bye.